discussion with Dr. Farid Holakou. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakli, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number, 310 0555. I wanted to start the show off today talking about the pandemic and mental health and some particular aspects of mental health. Uh, so the pandemic, as uh, it was predicted to have huge effects on our mental health, and I discussed this on Monday night's show in George Bonanno's book, The End of Trauma, how after 9-11, there was this expectation that there would be huge declines in mental health. Uh, but there wasn't quite that um, the result or the people who had PTSD was far fewer than what was expected. Similarly with the pandemic, I think there actually has been some considerable mental health outcomes that have been negative. It's affected people in a negative way. But I think that we also as a, a society showed our resilience and flexibility that it's been definitely tough. Of course, people have lost their lives and loved ones. Uh, and it's led to lots of uh, anxiety and different uh, effects on people's well-being. But people tend to be more resilient than we can sometimes think. So it's kind of a paradox where, of course, things have an impact, but might, maybe at times we think it's going to impact us more than it does. Just like if you imagine any kind of negative change or reconsider a negative change in your life, usually we see that people recover from it far more than they think they can. Uh, I've seen this with my clients before and just in my even own life, but we're talking to other people where often we might think if this were to happen to me, there's no way I could handle it. There's no way I would be okay. And it can happen to us and we realize that we, we are okay. We do survive. You're in a relationship and you imagine if my partner were to break up with me, I would be devastated and I would never recover. I would never be the same. And yet you are sad for some time and might go through a lot of pain, but you tend to recover and be okay. So in general, we tend to overestimate how much things are going to hurt us, which makes sense because our bodies, our brains, in order to protect us, they want to prevent pain, prevent things that are going to hurt us, even pain itself. We can understand that in a way it's going to be exaggerated in the sense that your body is trying to protect you. So if something is causing some damage, it really is going to want to alert to you to prevent this from continuing to stop it. Um, and even could make you feel like you can't take it anymore because it doesn't want to get closer to a point where you are uh, really going to hurt yourself and or could cause even more damage. I, I've heard this from people who do extreme types of endurance sports where they say, You'll get to this point where your body feels like it can't go any further, but you know that that's just the pain trying to stop you and you can keep going. This, of course, is not in any way saying there aren't real effects to things, that we don't get hurt by things, that things don't have a negative effect, or that if anyone is in pain, they are exaggerating 
I definitely don't want to give that notion because I think, unfortunately, we already can do that too much with all sorts of pain, especially emotional pain, to think that someone really is not hurting, they're actually okay. I mean, this when we consider our own internal reactions and our own predictions of what we're going to experience, we can tend to have a bias towards thinking it's going to hurt more and that we can handle less than we actually can. But now one group I did want to talk about or one type of issue when it comes to the pandemic that I've seen be affected considerably by what's going on are individuals who have anxiety or anxiety disorders, social anxiety, things of that nature. I think the pandemic, especially initially, actually just heightened the anxiety of the whole world. Anxiety is this worry about the future, this unknown future. So as more becomes unknown and unpredictable, and also there is this danger out there, this virus that is spreading and killing people, of course, it led to this heightened sense of anxiety. Also, everything shut down. There was fears of shortages of food, shortages of toilet paper. That was a big one. Um, Fears of different types of things not being available, work. And these things did happen where people lost their jobs or jobs changed. Uh, schools closed, all sorts of things really did happen. So that unpredictability just led to this spike in anxiety for the whole world. We saw that. And of course, if you already had anxiety or were struggling with anxiety, that was going to be even more difficult. And even as I say, if you have anxiety, we all have anxiety. It's part of being human. So I mean individuals who suffer with higher levels of anxiety that really cause distress even before the pandemic, they would be even more harmed by what was going on. And so the pandemic, as I said, was giving us more anxiety overall as a a community, as a society, as a world. But people with anxiety experience this even further. You can understand individuals who are already, you know, what you might call a germaphobe or preoccupied with cleanliness and with um, disease and those things. They were even more harshly affected by this pandemic of this virus that was spreading. And what also makes it difficult is it's an invisible thing. We can't see it with the naked eye, the the virus. So that could add to the anxiety. What I also wanted to focus on is now that we are still in the midst of things, it's been this very complicated process where we think it's ending, but in some ways it feels never ending. And are we going to go back to normal or what would normal look like? But at the same time, things are opening up to some degree, especially things like schools. And that's been a big source of contention for lots of people about opening them, not opening them, masks, no masks, uh, vaccine mandates, and all of those things, which I won't get into right now. What I wanted to focus on is the experience of particularly children, but it also could be for adults, returning to school and children who have and deal with anxiety. Because I've seen this as, as schools have been opening up and lots of children and teenagers are going back to school, that children with anxiety have been struggling particularly difficultly with what's going on. And so what we can understand is when the pandemic happened and schools closed, everyone was home and that had lots of consequences of doing distance learning from the quality of that education to how involved and engaged children were, which was a problem because it's always hard when you're sitting in your room living your life, then all of a sudden that's your classroom. And to not have that context actually change in your environment can make it hard to switch your mind into school mode. So there was lots of challenges for lots of kids. Kids were falling behind. Also, it made it easier for kids to avoid 
dealing with things so they wouldn't see the teacher every day. So if they were falling behind, I saw a lot of kids that were falling behind and losing, uh, staying on track of things, and they really didn't have any way of, of enforcing it as closely as before where the teacher could pull the kid aside and say, hey, you know, you've missed a few assignments in person. They could email, but those are a lot easier to eat, ignore than an in-person interaction. So we had those consequences, too, of the, the how school was going, the change, of course, socially, that children were no longer around each other all day long as they were before, and we're missing that as well. But for children with anxiety, they probably experienced heightened anxiety, but they also, in an unfortunate way, got comfortable not having to face a lot of the things that tended to make them anxious. Being around kids, if they have some social anxiety, going to school might give them anxiety. So what happened during the pandemic and happened for a lot of us is we were essentially put into our cocoons even more at home in this comfort zone. And yeah, it was difficult and painful in lots of ways, but it was a lot easier and a lot more comfortable. And so for kids who have anxiety, they got more comfortable and more stuck in this comfort zone. And they also didn't have to face their anxieties. And when we don't face an anxiety, they only become stronger and larger and harder to face. The monster becomes bigger and bigger when you don't face it. So if you, let's say, are a child who would get nervous being in school, anxious about the social part of being in school, and now for a year, year and a half, you're at home all the time, and then you're asked, okay, now go to school again, this could be a particularly challenging time for you because now it can feel so scary. I got so comfortable for a year being at home for school, and now I have to go back out into the classroom. So something to be aware of if you have children who have anxiety, and again, most people have at least some, but if your child particularly deals with that, that going back to school could be exciting and fun in a lot of ways, and a lot of kids were excited about that, but also can be very, very anxiety-provoking, especially if you've gotten comfortable not having to face that anxiety. And this is another one of these paradoxes or things that we have to balance in our own lives, even each individual, but especially let's say if you have a child with anxiety is how do I help my child face their fears, face their anxieties so that they recognize that they can overcome them, that they're not that scary. And really, we know that the only way we can overcome or come to terms with any kind of fear or anxiety is to face it unfortunately it makes us want to avoid that's what it's telling us to do that thing is scary that thing doesn't feel good go away from it but the only way we get over them is by facing them and by not facing them they only loom larger so how do i encourage my child to face their fears and their anxieties while at the same time not overwhelming them because if you just keep forcing them to do everything that they have a hard time doing they can get overwhelmed burned out or they might now really hate that thing. So if you know you, you force them to go into a bunch of social situations that they don't want to go to, it can help if it's done in the right way and they feel okay about it. But if you overwhelm them now, they might even more hate going to social things. You might go, oh, I never want to go to a party because I had so many bad experiences. So as a parent, when your child is going back to school, it's something to be aware of how uh, difficult is it for them? How are they adjusting to going back to being in person? Uh, the distractions at home were a particular way of being home and feeling like they're in their room and maybe having 
their you know other things open or doing other things while they were technically in class, but really they weren't. But now being in class in the classroom again, they can be distracted by seeing their peers if they feel uncomfortable in their own skin or about how they look or how they feel about themselves. Now they can feel exposed again. They can feel that they're being seen, and that could create some anxiety. That then leads to things like distractions and having a hard time paying attention. So this is something that I've been seeing more and more as kids are going back to school, that children with the anxiety are really struggling with this process. And it's something to be aware of as a parent. You might think, well, it's great. And even your child might in some ways be excited to go back. They might miss seeing their friends. They might miss aspects of it. But if they're dealing with anxiety, it's something to be mindful of that how are they dealing with this process of going back to school, getting ready to go to school, getting dressed, get, make, presenting themselves however they want to present themselves, and then going around their peers and being there. Because it takes time to break that comfort zone, this cocoon, once it gets hardened, it's very difficult to break free from it and to break through. And if you deal with anxiety, you're going to feel even more this want to stay at home. I think we can all recognize that we've been affected by what's going on this last year and a half, even socializing for a lot of people, even adults who've been obviously doing it their whole life, being in person around people in, in whatever ways they've done it, it. It could feel a little bit strange at first because you haven't done it for a while. So just imagine for a child, especially a child with anxiety, how difficult that task likely can be. And so we want to be, again, sensitive to that and be aware that that could be challenging while also encouraging them to face and embrace this anxiety because it's the only way we can help them to overcome it and, of course, to face the realities and responsibilities of their own life. All right, let's go to a commercial break. Our studio number, 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I wanted to talk now about, it's actually in some ways related to an aspect of the previous segment when we're looking at anxiety and how by not facing our fears or facing our anxieties, they get stronger. And we have to actually in that way face the challenge or the discomfort in order to overcome the anxiety or to be able to live with it more easily, which is one of our main challenges in life is that we have to put ourselves in some discomfort in order to grow, but there's always a tendency that's going to be pulling back to not being uncomfortable, to being safe, to taking it easy, to not expending energy, to just try to uh, take it easy as much as possible. So we do need some force or effort to get ourselves into doing things that push us out of our comfort zone. The more we do that, one, we can build particular habits. Let's say, for example, we have a tendency to want to not expend energy physically, but if you start to exercise regularly, that can create a habit that actually then with that expectation becomes easier to do it. And also the more we challenge ourselves, the more comfortable we become and the more it becomes uh, part of our way of being to challenge ourselves, to push into this comfort. So an easy way using the exercise analogies, the only way we get stronger, the only way a muscle grows is if you push it a bit into some discomfort, push it into a place where it actually doesn't feel good. 
if you were, let's say, lifting weights and stopped as soon as it started to be a little bit uncomfortable or painful, you would never allow your muscles to grow. You would never go through that breaking and repairing that actually leads to growth. And I wanted to use this same type of an analogy looking at our ideas and the ways that we think about things that we have all sorts of ideas in our heads about different topics but if they just stay in our heads and we don't work them out they don't get stronger they get weaker and they definitely won't grow so there's lots of ways of working them out but the first thing is just actually bringing them to mind is the first step so you have opinions about lots of things some of them you might not even be aware of because you never really thought about them or you haven't been exposed to that you have lots of ideas about things economics relationships parenting all sorts of things even if you're not an expert in any of them we still have opinions and ideas about everything it, but one thing to be aware of is how we look at those ideas that we have but we have these ideas in our head but so the first thing if you want an idea to get stronger is it needs to be brought to your attention this is some kind of the the lowest level of working out i would say is to think about it yourself and to reflect and it can be very valuable just thinking about the ideas can be important but just that process has value this is why even in therapy a lot of times people will start talking about something and they'll say as they're talking wait i never even really thought about it till i just started telling you about it that i see it this way or i feel this way or making this connection so it has to be just brought up first in some level whether it's in your mind or let's say if you're journaling or if you're talking about it out loud that's the first type of step so first would be just internal the next would be somehow expressing it whether it's to someone else or writing it down but if you're doing that, that itself will start to work your idea out a little bit. It can get stronger in that way. You might even become aware of the idea or different aspects of it. It's kind of like it's buried in your mind and you're excavating it and you're getting all the dust off. And just by doing that, you see more of it and you see it in different ways. I can actually share that doing this show, I feel very grateful that it allows me, I think about the things I'm going to talk about, but then just in the process of talking about them, they tend to uh, evolve and grow just by that process. I become aware of new things or new elements or aspects of it. So the same topic I've been talking about or topics, let's say I've covered for seven years on this show, I'm sure I've changed in lots of ways. I've read a lot of things and done so much that has also affected that. But just the process of talking about them has helped me refine them and understand them better. So even I would recommend if you are someone who has ideas in a particular field, whatever it might be, even if you were to do what I do right now of just talking about it for 15 minutes every day, writing about it, doing something about it, talking about it, of course, as I'll get to it, someone else can be even more meaningful or valuable, but that itself would help you understand your ideas and refine them better. So that's the first step. And we have to take that effort if we want the ideas to become better or, or thinking about things to, to grow. And one thing I'll mention, um, it also involves having a level of intellectual humility and overall humility of recognizing that you think things, you have opinions about things, but that you very much can be wrong 
or at minimum recognize that you definitely don't have the whole truth. We tend to like that feeling that I know something and I know I'm right and there's no debating about it. It's just there. But the first process in even trying to make something stronger is recognizing that it might not be perfectly strong in the first place or that it could have some weaknesses. So in order to grow, we have to first recognize that something might not be okay or that I'm continually in a process of learning even if it's in a field you're an expert in, but especially if it's things that you don't know very well or that you haven't studied or that can be very complicated. And since I'm bringing this aspect of it up, this is very important for me because I think we see this so much in, uh, it's always been the case, but especially with social media, this advent of stating your opinion as fact and as certainty and as anyone who disagrees with you is stupid. So I know that if you do this tax plan, it's gonna be a disaster. Or if you do this type of new social program, it's gonna be amazing. Or if you're gonna do this, it definitely is gonna work. Or this other idea is so stupid. People get more attention when they say things with more conviction, with more emotion, if they create conflict, so if they attack the other side, both it gets that side angry and it makes people on your own side more riled up and excited and saying, yeah, you're right, and they're going to like and comment and share those kinds of things. And unfortunately, it creates this hyper-polarization, but also it leads to people feeling this pressure to state things in a way that they really can't state in that confidently of a way or shouldn't be able to. So I always find it almost funny that people will talk about economic plans where people who have PhDs in economics and have been studying it for decades might disagree on and not be sure about, but someone in their just kind of passive way of looking at it or if they've read an article or two which likely agreed with what they thought anyway, now they think they know for sure this is the way. So we might think we sound more smart and more intelligent if we say something is for sure this way and I know it's this way and people can be affected by that. But if we're thinking more critically, I would hope we can recognize that actually by stating you know something that you don't know or you can't know, that in some way is one of the stupidest things we can do. So if I I say I know for a fact this thing is true and there's no way for me to know that, it's not possible, that's actually a very stupid thing. But in the way it comes off and to many people, I might look very smart because it seems like I know something. And often we say we know something that really can't be proven wrong anyway. So if you say this tax plan is the right plan, even if they implement it, people will say, well, they didn't do it quite right or these things happen even if it didn't work out. So you can just state something very confidently and really not have to face any consequences in some ways. Uh, It's different, but it reminds me of when I I love watching sports, but they'll make predictions. What's going to happen in the game today? Oh, uh, PSG, Manchester City, it's going to be 2-2. It's going to be 1-0, 3-0. But nothing happens. Even they might, after the game, talk about their predictions in a a joking way or just maybe if someone did get it right, they'll really be proud of themselves. But there's no actual consequence to getting it right or wrong. There's no um, skin in the game. Uh, to quote Nassim Taleb's title of his book where he did actually discuss this issue. And so people, pundits, experts, they're very often praised for making declarations, making statements that they don't have to actually pay the price in any way if it's wrong. If the pundits say the score is going to be this and the score is different, they're still there the next week telling you about the games and making their 
predictions. It's just the entertainment. Also, I think uh, I was watching some football soccer matches yesterday, and I, you know, they're making these predictions, and I realize people before the game have this anxiety and this excitement, so they like hearing something that's certain. Going back to this tendency we have of preferring certainty, so. They want to hear someone say, this is what's going to happen. You know, it just makes them feel good. And so similarly, we live in a world where we're unsure about a lot of things. And so when someone speaks with certainty, rather than recognizing they can't actually know what they say they know, we prefer to believe them because it feels good that someone knows and I'm going to trust this expert. And the expert likes feeling good about it. They might even make money off of it. So it kind of becomes this symbiotic relationship. People looking for someone to tell them they for sure know something because then they have the uh, release of that anxiety and they get that comfort of thinking they know and then the person who is believed to know everything they feel good about the attention and the fame and the money that they might get from that and that feeling of being the one who knows so uh, this could be in a way an overarching concept and what I'm talking about right now is that we have to recognize our limits of knowing our limits of understanding and the limits of others as well and how we um, praise them and give them attention and who we think is worth listening to and realizing that oftentimes we want to know and we want to think people know some things for sure but with a lot of these things we can't know and there's no way of knowing the absolute truth or knowing for a certainty something is this way or that way or this prediction will definitely turn out the way we're saying that it will so we have to have that humility when we approach our ideas, which also means we want them to grow. I want to understand things better, and I want to open them to get challenged, and that's the hard part. So I, as I was saying, just bringing them to mind, thinking about them, even journaling about them, that can help. And then now talking to someone first, let's say just to vent, just that process of talking brings, it's like it's bringing your idea out. So I like the analogy of an athlete. You know, This is kind of like, your idea is practicing in some ways by itself. So that could be good. It's training. If you're thinking on your own or if you're journaling or just talking out loud, that's a way of your idea practicing on its own. Now, what people do, the next step would be to talk to other people about it, to talk to other people about your ideas and the ways you think about things. But interestingly, what most people do is they talk to people that are on their team. So they talk to people that believe what they already believe, and that feels really good. And so social media has definitely uh, made this even exponentially easier and more likely to happen for people. They see things that are uh, what they already like and believe. Their friends usually believe the same thing, so they're being exposed to this. So that's another way. But this kind of practicing actually can hurt us, but that's the next level that sometimes people go to. Well, I'm talking to people about these ideas, but it's people that already agree with me. Oh, you know, this tax, what a stupid tax idea, right? It's so stupid. I agree. You agree. They're so dumb. We're so smart. And this feels good. But this kind of practice where you're actually not challenging yourself can actually make you weaker. It almost can make you unaware of what you're not good at. Let's say if you're an athlete, you practice in a way, but you're not really trying to hurt each other. It's almost like you're playing basketball and practicing, but there's no defense. So you're just passing the ball and shooting, and it looks really easy because there's no opposition. So this kind of practice, if you practice in this way, where we're only going to um, be on each other's side and not challenge anything in any way, 
it can actually make you weaker over time, even though it feels like practice while I'm, I'm talking about these issues. But all it's doing is further strengthening your own biases. It's making you more blind to the limitations. It's making you think your opponent is weaker because it seems like, look at all these good ideas that we have. So this is not going to be as helpful. But the next step would be if you talk to people who maybe agree with you, but you have them try to challenge you a little bit more. So this could be like practice where you are practicing and someone guards someone and someone tries to score on them. That could be a little bit more meaningful and actually can have a positive impact. Usually when people are on the same team, you still take it a little bit easy on each other during practice. No one wants to get injured during a practice. So it's still not as good and people aren't going to challenge you as much, but this might be a little bit better. But the ultimate way that an idea is going to get better and similarly the ultimate way that an athlete is going to get better is when it faces direct opposition. It has to open itself and expose itself to facing opposition, meaning that it can get hurt, it can get uh, injured in some ways, it could even lose. That's something we have to be open to, that we can realize we were wrong about something, something that is very hard for almost any of us to accept. It doesn't feel good at all to figure out you've been wrong about something, especially if you deeply believe it, and even more strongly if you deeply identify with it. Because now it doesn't feel like you're just challenging an idea or something I thought. It feels like you're attacking me at my core. If my idea that I identified doesn't exist or is wrong, then I don't exist or I'm wrong and I'm all bad. And that's what can make people get so desperate when they believe something very deeply and it almost becomes a part of their identity. It's not just about, oh, I guess that's different from what I thought. It's that I'm wrong, I'm bad, something that I've believed for so long and something that helps me know who I am and who I am in this world is not right. That can be very scary. And so people will fight tooth and nail and they likely won't change their mind or acknowledge that they're wrong or even that any part of what they're thinking is wrong because the stakes feel too high. But going back to that analogy of what's going to make your idea stronger, just like the athletes, you have to face the best competition. Because that's another thing, actually, to add a little caveat to that. Well, sometimes we say, well, I'm going to play in opposition, but you play someone much younger you know, or easier. Let's say you're a high school team and you play a middle school team and kids that are several years younger than you. Well, yeah, it looks like there's opposition, but you know that they're not that good at the thing you're doing which is, let's say, having an argument, but in this case, playing basketball. So you're not going to get that much better. And it's more that you're playing to remind yourself or to reinforce or to convince yourself how right you are. To genuinely grow in any kind of way of thinking, you're going to have to be challenged by someone who is, let's say, an intellectual equal or even maybe superior to you. That's going to help your idea grow. But that can be the most terrifying because you know that you might in that sense, lose the debate, but not just, I would hope we don't approach these things as like winning and losing itself, but that you might be exposing your idea to its flaws and weaknesses and things that might not quite be right about it. 
And for most people, most of the time, they don't want to do that. They think they like thinking. We think we want to understand things better, but often we just want to feel good about what we believe and think and to think, okay, see, I was right. I'm smart. I'm uh, the wise. I'm not stupid like other people. It's a way of putting ourselves above others, but to genuinely show we have belief in our idea, we should want to face the best opposition, to face things more strongly. And through that, you actually do grow just like the best athletes will get better at their sport if they play against the best players of the that are on the other team and challenge each other. That's how they actually get better. If they just wanted to play against their own team and have fun, they could do that and they might enjoy it, but they would never get really better. And so I would hope we intellectually will approach things in that way. It's challenging and it does involve the humility that I mentioned and the sense of being open to being wrong, something that can be terrifying for many of us, especially if you identify with ideas and if you identify yourself as someone smart. This is what gives me value. This is what makes me good. So I don't want to be wrong because that feels really bad. But I hope we will have that courage in ourselves and our ideas and look at our ideas and ourselves kind of like this athlete that I want to face the best opposition that I can in order to really test my idea and how good it is and actually to help it grow. If my desire is to learn about things and know things, then I should be seeking the truth, not seeking being right. But far too often, we prefer choosing being right and staying in that comfort zone than exposing ourselves to that possibility of being wrong, not being right, and learning something in the process. All right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in this show, it's been a bit about anxiety, but also uh, last segment about facing challenge and getting ourselves uncomfortable, something that comes up a lot on the show because I think we have this tendency to stay comfortable and it makes sense that we have that pull. But if we want to live a fulfilling, meaningful life, we have to push ourselves out of that comfort zone. It's really the only way. And so the last segment I was talking about our ideas and our thinking and making an analogy to uh, an athlete and a sport who needs to face opposition really to get stronger, but has to be open to that. And so in this segment, I wanted to look at our own sense of self and being open to seeing different aspects of that self or expressing more of ourselves. So this, you know, I'll, I'll say it to this notion of your whole self, your true self. And I think those have value thinking about those things being genuine of course does but this true self i think really we're all so complicated and complex and have so many facets that to think of it as one true self is probably limiting because i think we all have even more abilities more sides to ourselves than we at times allow to be seen first by us and then to be seen by the world so when I think of a true self, it's not just this, oh, this is you and that's just you. First of all, it's always going to be evolving, but even it's not going to be a fixed thing even in a moment because we are so dynamic. But it makes me think of this um, concept that first came to my attention in the book Can Love Last by Stephen Mitchell, where we can 
in our relationships, people often will say, well, you get bored over time. You're going to be bored after just even a few years, let's say, of being married. It's not going to be exciting anymore. And he presented this argument, which I think is very uh, meaningful and very deep, that it's not just that we get bored because you have to get bored. But he was suggesting that the reason why we get bored with our partners is partially because of our ability our struggle with trying to find a balance between passion and stability. So when you first meet someone, because so much of them is unknown, there's this initial attraction and spark, but because so much of them is unknown, this is part of what contributes to the passion. Is this, I don't really know them, it's exciting, it's intriguing, I want to get to know them more. And so that's the, the passion part is, uh, at least in part, created by this not knowing or unknown of the other person. But then as we get to know them and we're trying to settle down and now we're more emotionally invested in this other person, we want to feel more stable in the relationship. And so because of that, we try to get more predictability. And we, in this sense, over time, trade this passion and this unknowing for this stability, but that stability and predictability also comes with boredom because we trick ourselves into thinking both ourselves and our partner will think about us in this way that I fully know you and there's nothing more to know. I know what you're going to do, how you're going to act. And so because of that, the passion starts to go out. And so rather than it being a black and white thing, always do this, always do that, it's finding this balance of, of course, another aspect of a depth of a relationship is getting to know your partner. So it's not to say you don't know them at all. That wouldn't make sense. And it's actually part of what builds that foundation of your relationship. So you do know them to some degree, but to think you fully know them and to think there's nothing left to learn or know about them, this is the lie that we tell ourselves and the lie that makes us feel more bored in the relationship. So if you can find this balance of knowing, but also recognizing there's always more to know, uh, you know, sometimes it's a cliche thing, but you'll hear the advice, which I think is good advice to think that you're always dating your partner. Even if you're married, you're still dating in the sense that you're getting to know each other still, and you're still dating in the sense that you will try to, what you do in the beginning of dating, impress each other, look good for each other, uh, to make the other person feel good, to even feel the threat that I can lose you. Not some big threat, but that it's not guaranteed that you have them. And of course, you've gotten married, but people get divorced. But in a realistic sense, recognizing, valuing what you have. So in that sense, not taking it for granted. Uh, hopefully not a big anxiety if I can lose you in any moment. This is part of why we make a commitment is to know that you're going to stay, that even if things get tough, we will try to work through it. But of course, if it gets to a certain point, it can lead to the end of the relationship. So we do this in our relationships with our partners. We trade the passion for some boredom. But what I think is interesting is we also do this with ourselves, that it can be a little bit anxiety provoking or scary to not know exactly who you are or what you're going to do. So we find these very hardened routines and stereotypical ways of living our lives that it isn't because this is just who I am. It's because this is how I've become comfortable being. So it's not all that you are is just the person that does this or never does that, who you know acts in this way in these situations. It's That could be some of you and you have that tendency, but it's not all that you are. But it could be anxiety provoking to feel that I'm going to express more aspects of myself. 
So we might think that doesn't make sense. We can see it. Yeah, maybe with someone else, you're not seeing them for who they are. But how could I not see myself? I am myself. But how we let ourselves be and our actual ability to give ourselves the freedom to be genuine in any moment, meaning that I'll allow myself to express what is coming out, we actually tend not to do that because we're trying to find these safer ways of being. So I think it's important for us to try to give ourselves the opportunity to express more of who we are in different ways. So this can involve a variety of things, definitely trying new behaviors and trying new activities to see what you enjoy, what do you feel when you do different things. Most people prefer having routine and knowing exactly what's going to happen and what they're going to do. But this to me would be limiting expressing yourself. And even in this way, going back to the example of a relationship where it could keep the passion alive and keep the love alive, if we recognize some of this unknowing, we can actually have that with ourselves and become less bored with ourselves if we recognize there's more to me than I even know yet. Or I haven't experienced so many things to see how I will respond. A human being is not just a static thing. A lot of it is how we interact with the world. So if we put you in a brand new situation, you might act in brand new ways for yourself or respond in a way you've never seen or show a skill you didn't know you had or an interest you didn't know you had or something you would enjoy. So we have to put ourselves in different and new situations and activities and behaviors and try things out to see how we feel. You know, this is actually something that happens in adolescence and in Eric Erickson's um, psychosocial uh, stages of development. We look at uh, identity versus role confusion, but there's a sense of I'm figuring out my identity. And that's partially why in adolescence, before we get to the stage of forming our identity, we're trying out different things. So you'll see, you know, we'll say, oh, they color their hair or they try piercings or different things or they get into different things. And and so we might think that's a bit of an extreme way. And it doesn't mean you're always going to live your life as an adolescent in that sense. But I do think we lose too much of that, that we think, okay, now I know who I am and it's fixed. I don't think that makes sense. You, first of all, are going to continue to change throughout life and, and will evolve. But also there's parts of yourself you probably haven't even met yet yourself. So people haven't met it, but first you have to meet and interact with it and give yourself that space to try things. In a related way, it sometimes reminds me of when people think about what they want to do for their careers and, and for what do they think they would be best at to contribute to the world. And so people have their jobs and careers and it feels possibly safe or comfortable. And I think people are actually often afraid to really think about what do I really want to do or put it in a different way. If I could do anything, what would I do? Or what do I think would be the best utilization of my particular gifts and talents and things I enjoy? And people are often afraid to ask themselves because if they become aware of this dream, this dream kind of job, and not dream as in it's easy and a fairy tale, but that it's their most uh, resonates most deeply with their own skills and abilities and their own passions. It's because if I now know that this is my passion is something else, then I would have to go through all the hard work, face all the unknowns and all the challenges that would have to happen for me to get to that new place. I might have to quit my job, go back to school, completely change careers, maybe move. So many big things would have to happen for me to reach that goal or that dream. So I'd rather not even know what my dream is. 
it could feel better to be ignorant of it than to know it's there and know I'm not giving it to myself because that involves feeling disappointed or knowing it's there. If I know my dream job is somewhere and I'm not going towards it, I have to live with that. But if I think, well, this is my life, this is work, work is kind of boring, but whatever, that's the way the world is, that can be a safer place for me to stay. So you might think you know yourself fully because you are yourself, but I'm asking you to think, well, is there more to me than has met my eye, not just meets the eye of others? Are there more ways of being that I can express? Because we can feel comfortable that, okay, I'm the kind of person who uh, doesn't get upset, or I'm the kind of person who's always in a good mood, or I'm the kind of person who does this or that or whatever it might be. That could be a comfortable space to stay in, which I can understand. And it like just like in a relationship, it makes sense. We have some self-knowledge, awareness of ourselves. But just to be aware that you actually might be more than you've shown so far, more than you've expressed and experienced. Try something different. Try signing up for a class or something. I'm actually going to start a class tomorrow night. Maybe I'll talk about it at some point, but I wanted to just do something different to stretch myself in a different way, push myself in a different way, because I recognize that in myself too, that there's more to me than I think I've experienced myself and more for me to share with others and share with the world, share with people closest to me, but even the world at large. And that's something that I want to invite everyone to think about. I think it's a little bit scarier than it might not seem like a scary thing, but I think for most people, they're a little bit uh, feeling anxious about trying different things because now it's like, well, who am I or what am I going to be? Even in therapy at times when people start exploring different aspects of themselves, we notice these fears coming up. So sometimes when we look at what we might consider your shadow, these parts of yourself that you've disowned, part of what's going on is there's this fear that if I face these parts of me, it's going to overtake me. So let's say you've put some aspect of yourself, anger away. You're afraid that anger will overtake you or you're going to become the super angry person if you let it out. So it might seem like, well, why would we be, be afraid of these feelings or these parts of ourselves is that we're scared of what if it overtakes me? What if that's who I am? It can bring up this sense of, I don't know who I am, this identity confusion, and all those things can be very intimidating. So get to know yourself better, but also in the means of getting yourself, getting to know yourself better, try different things, do different things, recognize that you are more than you have known so far. Your relationship with yourself has likely been limited by you forcing yourself to be a particular way, to act in a particular way that you think makes sense or has become a strategy that works for you. But if you push into that discomfort of going into some of that unknown, you might fall in love with yourself all over again or fall more in love with these different parts of, of who you are. All right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for calling. Oh, of course. Thanks for having this amazing program. I was calling because I I just moved actually to California. I'm visiting a state, but I moved from um, South, um, you know, South, not from Iran. I've been in a state for years. Okay. But uh, the reason I was calling, I would like to get your opinion um, in how to start a school studying psychology at age 50 so okay. <laughs> <laughs> if what is the best route to go i 
it's been a, a lifetime dream for me. Um, in fact, when I was in Iran, um, I got accepted in Danishka, in University of Tehran, but unfortunately I wasn't allowed to study out of the city that I was living. So, and then I ended up studying literature and uh, Persian co- uh, literature, and I ended up getting married and leaving the country. So I didn't finish my education, but this idea has always been in back of my head, and I want to pursue it. Okay. But um, I was wondering if living in California, considering um, being new to state and also the cost of the college, what would you suggest would be the best route to start? Well, um, obviously there's a lot of things to consider your own financial situation, the uh-huh. timing, all, all sorts of things would be important. The good news is all of us are in some level studying psychology from when we're born because we're just sure. noticing people and paying attention to them. I'm sure you, uh, if you want to study it, you've been look, at least studying it on your own in some degree. So, uh, you know, sometimes we can start at the end and work backwards. What uh-huh. is it that you'd like to do when you say you want to study psychology? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm, uh, that was my other question, if I'd be able by the age 40. I mean, 54 or 55, possibly, because I have a full-time job also, but no responsibility anymore. Children are grown and gone, and mm-hmm. uh, so it's just me and myself, basically. Okay. Um, I have I calculated my life and my time, and I still can work in full-time, and having a balanced life, I still can have extra six hours, at least, to study. I figured that would be enough. Um, six hours a sure day, or...? A day. Okay. A day. Okay. Yeah. That's in in twenty four hours, considered working out, work, uh, having my full time job, running a business, and still being family, having fun. I still have twenty four hours. I did a lot of math, and I thought I can at least spend five six hours a day if okay. I want to really be productive in my time and study toward a degree. Um, I'm I'm just so curious about children. So I love to, and then I love counseling. So if that's something I can pursue, I'm happy. If not, I can use it in already in my job that I work with people. What do you, um, what do, you do now? Well, I'm an, I'm an accountability coach. I, I do a combination of, uh, I teach yoga full time. Also, mm-hmm. I own a little a small skincare business. So I work with people, been working for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. After my children grew up and they were gone to college and they, I pursued their life. So, that's what I've been doing, but without a degree. I have a little certificate from here and there for coaching, for um, teaching yoga, and that's what I do, and I truly love working with, with others. Okay. So I combine them all, but yeah. then I don't have a degree, but it's always been at back of my head and my heart that I want to pursue that degree. Okay, so what is, you know, oftentimes the degree or getting a degree has a meaning for us or a significance mm. and then often it's what it's going to allow us to right. do so by, based on how you said it it seems like just having the degree has a meaning for you but that's what I was asking of you know the logistics and things I can we can talk a bit about that I, it won't sure. be something I can totally figure out with you because your life you have to look you. at that but I but I'm wondering what does it mean to you to get a yes. degree yeah um, the degrees actually have more um, First of all, it was a dream of mine and that I worked so hard for it to pursue, but I wasn't allowed because of my family belief system. And then the things I was allowed to do as a girl who grew up in a small city in Iran and and not having the permission. And it was something that I wanted so bad since I was a teenager. What, what was it that you wanted, though? I'm still not clear. Working with people, the... working with people okay. helping others. And uh, that was number one. 
And then uh, number two, I always hold back and because everything I wanted to do and pursue, and I, I feel like lack of, it's even affecting me in pursuing relationships because I never think I've, I've done enough. I'm sorry, I'm getting mm-hmm. emotional, I think. Um, so I feel pursuing that. Um, and then uh, the marriage I wanted to go, before I get divorced, I wanted to do it, but I never had the support of my ex-husband thinking it's too late i mean you shouldn't be going to school and you need to support as far as the children so that i can spend the time to go even i pursued it but i had to quit because i wanted to be with the kids so i feel like it's unfinished business for me but also for advancing my own education and just to prove to myself that i can do it mm-hmm. um, mostly but as far as making money with it I'm okay. I don't. It's not that I wanted to be uh, use it as a source of making money and income. Okay. So um, basically, that's it. But I would love to actually. Maybe I should. Maybe I should get over that idea. Maybe I should pursue it. If you can help me figure well, out, I get would over, love that. Get over which idea? Of going to school is maybe proving to myself that I'm. Hmm. I can do it, or I'm. I'm already good enough but also education is something that mm-hmm. um, it's uh, I'm fascinated by human behavior by human mind by people and I have a huge love and passion for humanity for serving helping others and I'm I already think I'm accomplishing that through what I do uh-huh. from the feedback that I get from my clients and my students but I there's always some a piece of me I feel like it's missing I think that it's that degree mm-hmm. so Maybe it's not healthy, yeah. maybe it is, maybe, so I'm not sure. <laughs> it, yeah, definitely you're not sure. That last part was very clear. And, and all, a lot of those right. things might be true. I mean, first of all, that you are good enough. You you are just by being a human being. I'd want you to feel that about yourself. Um, but that's why I was asking of what's sure. pushing this. And you, you said it's my dream. Uh, it's been a dream since you were younger. And so mm-hmm. on one hand, that can make us think you should definitely do it and because right. it's that dream. Now, the other thing is... You know, you've at, you said in a few different ways, can I do it? Some of it was about the timing, but I think some of it's also doubting yourself in some way of can I handle it? Or at least that's what I was hearing in how you said it. And that's another thing about when something stays a dream, we don't have to face the realities of potentially it doesn't work out or we can't do it or we face challenges. And so uh, it does seem like you've had these legitimate things in your life that got in the way. But it could be that you've been a bit afraid or anxious about facing this yourself of mm. seeing, you know, can I do it? Because if it's just in a, oh, I would love to do this or I want to do this someday um, or they won't let me, then you don't have to face the potential, the risks that come with anything we take on that it can not work out. We can fail. We can get rejected. All sorts of things like that can happen. So I'm wondering what you think about that. Um is there this sense that an anxiety of can I handle this? Is it just a dream or can I actually make it reality? I believe I can. I have okay. no reason because I've been evaluating yeah. a lot uh, my life and myself. Um, I feel like there's nothing in my way anymore. Like the, a peace of mind of not supporting the children to go, go to college. Not, so, not I mean... I don't have to take care of anybody, mm-hmm. no sick family member, nobody's in need of financially, uh, everybody's in a good place. 
uh, and I have peace of mind and I have a good a good call and I want to use uh, use that time and mm-hmm. pursue it of course advancing my education as well so thinking uh, why not pursue it toward that direction and who knows what will be next yeah that can help advance my career and my future and that okay. those are the thoughts that came and then I sure. even sat down and wrote down the hours my days so where am I what is where do I have extra time that I can use toward pursuing it and I absolutely thought I can I can do it. I, I have no reason to hold me back, and I have all the time that I want to. Okay. So, yeah, and if that's enough piece of information. No, it is. Um, and I wasn't, and I definitely think you can do it because most degrees um, involve can you work hard enough and consistently enough to get the degree rather than there's some big limitation that you have to have, let's say, a certain IQ or something like that. So uh, I'm sure you can. I was wondering if there's some anxiety from you about that. We would expect there to be any anxiety if you're starting a, a graduate program or something like that. But mm-hmm. just wanted to see if there was some sense from yourself of can I do this or, or not. Um, you know, as far as the six hours a day, it sounds like a lot, but it, depending on the kind of program you're in, sometimes you need more than that as far as you have to be in class and do other things. But that's something you can figure out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the logistics of it for me, I know that was part of what you were asking about. Um, but yeah. I'm sure you can find those programs either online or different things that you can possibly get a master's degree and then go into if you want to work with children if you get an MFT or focus on kids and those things, I think you can look at and, and figure out. Um, sure. Or have you thought about that? Do you know what kind of a degree or program you want to go into? Believe it or not, I saw myself all the way to master. That's where I yeah. saw myself. Okay. But I wasn't sure as far as uh, being new to the state of California and not knowing anything about the education in here. So would I start with some college, community college? Would I start as far as the quality? Will I start with online for to start the basic and then transfer to university, or that's those were my concern and well, those, guidance that I, I needed. Yeah, and I don't know the details of that. What sure. you'll have to. Well, do you have a bachelor's degree? I don't. That's why I said okay. I left the university. Yeah. I was studying in after I wasn't able to do the psychology intern. I ended up studying in the next option that I was accepted in Iran, and I did the concours or mm-hmm. the entrance exam in Iran. And then I got married at a very young age, okay. like so, so you know, so that's here. yeah, so that's something you'll have to look at. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes schools will require that, or at least they'll require that you've taken some courses. If they don't require a bachelor's, they they often they will, but you can look at different schools and see what your options are. Probably either way, you'll have to go back and at least take some classes sure. at first at community college, and then you know depends if they need you to get a bachelor's degree you'd have to transfer and do all of that so that's something you're gonna have to look into researching the schools i don't know all the details of what they um, require for you to do but yeah i I think if you want to go that route why not it seems very meaningful for you i do think it's going to be important for you to also look at it seems like not having done this makes you see yourself differently because you got emotional in that part where you know Mm. it, it was something of even what you've pursued in your life and relationships, it seems like not having this degree has affected the way you value yourself in some way. I do, and, I for, and I'm fully aware that I'm working on myself. Yeah. And I have accomplished a lot as a person. So you have what? I, I believe I have 
been working hard on yeah. myself and accomplished a lot in my personal life and, and in general overall. But it's it just feels like it's something and it's missing. And it could totally be and you know it, it's something that you know psychologically a problem that seeing myself that lacking because it's just I don't want to be identified by my degree. Yeah. But I'm fully aware of that. But yeah. uh, but then also you know knowing it and doing something about it or accepting it I guess that's another sure part, another and thing. and it's not to you know again I would want you to recognize it and understand it and it, it's still it might be that okay I have this insecurity about it or whatever it uh, might be but it doesn't mean I you do. shouldn't do it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it still it could be both okay. of those things are true so I don't want you to think that if it's oh it's an insecurity don't do it it could be great I mean this seems like a um, a wonderful thing that would may potentially help your career you would feel good mm -hmm. about it I mean there's a lot of good things yeah but I would want you to f look at and face this part that feels not good enough without it because that it might not change even you get the degree and there could be something still there that I'd want you no, to, agree to you. look at so because, where do you yeah. where do you you know mm -hmm. and these things have a lot of cultural significance but I'm wondering where do you see this in yourself this strong connection of not having the degree and the, the value of the degree mm -hmm. for you how do you understand that? Yeah, I I noticed that I've been paying it. I've been uh, it's it's triggering some uh, some spots in me that the moment the more I'm I'm noticing it more and more. It feels like as people are speaking about themselves, and I meet somebody or a coworker or a new person or a new student or a new client, it just I I noticed that the moment they they pay, they they mention their degree or their schooling, and then it, it triggers something in me hmm. uh, that um, yeah, and I'm getting emotional about it again hmm. that um that I don't have that degree, and even though I have so much in my life to be grateful for, and maybe I don't have a degree, but I have studied and read and listened maybe to thousands of hours of self-help and read and listened is non-stop. I have a headphone in my head and my car and my job listening and thirsty from this conference, that conference, but it's not on a paper, I guess. And I know it's me. Hmm. Um, so it triggers me when people talk about their degree and they have one and I don't. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's and and even and now it seems like you genuinely enjoy the things you learn, which is good. But it almost it can feel like you're trying to show something there too. And I and I felt it when you first were telling me about what you do, and it's of course you're trying to tell me about what you're doing. But there was this feeling of trying to show that. I just I, I'm going to share the feeling with you of being good enough, where I sure. didn't I didn't doubt it. I don't really think of someone when I start talking to them that they have to prove it but that's what I felt at some level that it was almost proving being good enough and, and that's something more, yeah go ahead, I'm sorry. no no go ahead go ahead I think it's um not I think I'm going to admit that it's uh, affecting me in pursuing relationship a lot mm -hmm. um well that's that's where I see and not necessarily to uh, pursue a relationship of course if that happens happens but um, and I'm fully aware of what I have who I am already I have a very good sense of who I am but when it comes to action I hold back always I yeah. always hold back that 
the fact unless that I'm comfortable with somebody knowing me through work, through clients, through students, um, knowing who really this person is, um, and doesn't say on my forehead if I have a bachelor's degree or master's mm-hmm. degree, and it always when I fill up a form when I answer question three that oh some college or not finished college it bothers me mm-hmm. so. Um, those are the area bothers yeah. me. I think. And, um, and even it might not stop you from d- dating, but it might keep you from dating people you might be more attracted to, or it might keep you from getting closer to people you start dating because yeah. of this sense no, it's of been affecting it. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, yeah. I I don't I, I know you asked about the specifically studying psychology. We can get back to that. I'm looking at the time, and we're at a commercial break. I want to go a little bit deeper into. You know, for yourself, looking at your feeling, these things of self-worth and everyone has, you know, we could say everyone has self-esteem issues. No one's going to have perfect self-esteem, sure. but it's the sense of how you see yourself and to think of your own life and where you think your sense of self might have been negatively impacted, that self-worth. So after the break, sure. we could talk a bit about that to. and maybe get back into the um, schooling Thank and things. You. Oh, my pleasure. So um, we'll put you on hold. We'll, we'll talk after the I break. I would love okay? to. Thank you. Sure. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to them now. The caller, are you still there? Hello? Yes. Hi. Hi, thanks Hi. for taking my call Of again. course, sure. So, you know, as I mentioned before the break, I wanted to go a little bit more into this sense of how you see yourself and value yourself. Uh, and as I've uh, made the point a few times, I think it's likely that going to school will still be good for you, and I, I think you should pursue it. But I want us to also understand this sense of how you see yourself and view yourself. Um, so what did you think about over the break, about looking at your own development of your self-love, self-worth, and how you see yourself? Um, well, I see myself a very strong, genuine, hardworking, kind, loving to love to serve. Um, it's giving, uh, dedicated, I work hard, I'm honest, authentic. There's so much that I know about myself, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know what is this part that it's because um, I have been dedicating my life on my own personal life, especially ever since I remember myself, my own as an adult, if not at least ever since I became a mother at a very young age. Um, um, and I have, um, I always worked so hard to just change myself to be the best version of myself instead of worrying about how my kids are going to turn up to be. And that worked so well for me. Um, I'm fully aware of all of that, and um, I, this is the feedback I get from every boss, every uh, co-worker, every friend, every neighbor, every family member, um, but I guess it's just me, myself, that lack, no, that but, peace that is, I feel. Right, but it, it seems like you, you're good at making everyone happy. I am, but yes. But that's, that's kind of, too. right, but that's the problem is that there's this yes. feeling that you need to make everyone happy. Sure, sure. You're that, absolutely right. That's what I'm wondering going back from childhood and what you remember of, of that sense of making others happy or how others see you. How do you remember your parents? How do you think they felt mm-hmm. about you or how they saw you? Oh, yeah, of course. I'm, I, 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 oh, no, I have never was good enough. First of all, 10 children, 6 mm-hmm. surviving, 
me being the one before the end, where you know, the num- if you count me as the ni- 10 children, I'm the ninth one, it's out of the sixth one that survived. I'm the fifth one, and um, uh, that's one, but it was a no, I never was good enough, never had, uh, was a good size, never was um, good looking enough, <laughs> never, I, I was called the fat child of the family, which I was size four when I got married, <laughs> so I was always compared with a neighbor's girl. I was fully aware, but I was fully aware of where it comes from, you know, knowing yeah. my parents' background. So. Uh, it didn't hurt me that much, but I was fully aware. In a family that boys, they love boys. Uh, boys were always first. And um, and then my marriage, I think marriage, my ex-husband was the one who mostly affected, and my older brother, and not I think, I really do believe. So from, you know, being a 15, 12, 13 years married to a, man, a completely insecure man and lost that didn't know what he wants and I was the only woman in his life and I had a, you know pretty much traditional marriage if you say you know getting to know like the way people got married those days um, and 12 years older I that was not a marriage that's where obviously I ended it but I did my best to save it because of the sake of children but it was nothing but dictating nothing but ordering nothing but I never was a good size I never was a good enough of on and on and on and on and on mm-hmm. um, and, so, I, and I'm sure that had a huge yeah. I'm sure that did have a huge impact but we can see that sure. it seems like the feeling about yourself was already there before him which right. could have also made it easier for you to accept the way he was treating you obviously you were unhappy mm-hmm. and you did get divorced and that's that could be a big deal that you at least didn't fully believe you deserved that to some degree but it it seems very likely that how you're describing your childhood this sense of not being Mm -hmm. enough not you know being compared to others and not measuring up was instilled in you pretty deeply and even when I asked you about yourself again I felt the sense of telling me about how good you were that other people tell you how how good you are and I was wondering how you feel about yourself more but it was like you were showing me, it's interesting, the first word that came to my mind, showing me your credentials or showing me your degree of look at the proof I am that I am good. So right. it, it does seem like it's so deep that I think you might not even recognize it at times that it's affecting mm-hmm. so much of how you feel and how you're going to act with others, the sense of not being quite enough, good I enough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a hard thing to change because when it's imprinted at such a young age, it's this very deep emotional conviction. So even though you get a lot of proof that you are good enough, I mean, you're, you're telling me about everyone tells me I'm good and this and right. every boss friend tells me these things. Somehow it still hasn't been able to change that belief deep down inside. And then um, I'm, not, I'm not sure or your opinion about a bunch of child molestation that happened through almost every man mm. in family and relatives that had reached out to me. So mm. I've been working on myself a lot. But good, good. For, I'm glad you are. And even, even I feel it I when you tell me. Had, yeah, you've. I mean, that of course has had a big yeah. um, impact. From you the know. child, young, young age. Yeah. So I mean, um, even it could uh, sadly give you the sense that your value is in how you're valuable to someone else in that way it's, it's exactly like that um, because 
when I put myself out there for dating, um, I feel like everybody does all they want. Mm. Um, they see a picture, they're like, oh, okay, she's an attractive woman or has this and that. And um, I just hate that, that I want to prove I'm more than my appearance, I'm more than my physique, I'm more than my skin and my hair. Yeah. And the size of my breasts and my butt. I am sick of it. I'm sick of it getting um, feeling that way. And I don't put myself out there because it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's a. I can get that. It's it's scary. First off, you've had these really bad experiences related to, and the, the sexually being abused or molested. Of course, that could create its own feelings about sex and relationships. Um, but then you know you have this. It's challenging for you because your own value with out that without serving someone you can doubt it at times but then also you expect that's all they're going to see and want too that they're just going to want the physical or whatever however it serves them so we can understand when that's how it feels you will be reluctant to enter a relationship why would you want to create a relationship where you're just going to take care of someone else and you're going to get neglected or you're not going to be seen for who you are so on one level you desire closeness and having a companion but also your expectation of what a relationship will be like is very negative. So it probably prevents you, as you're saying, from really putting yourself out there or creating that type of a meaningful relationship. True. And unfortunately, it could also reinforce creating casual relationships at times. I don't know if that happens, but if you do, then it will reinforce. Okay. Because it could then reinforce further your idea that that's all people are looking for is something casual. I have to admit, Dr. Malakri, that I am fully aware of that and I never uh, even tried. I mean, I did a few times that it ended up being casual years and years Mm -hmm. and ago just to be, just to test myself. And that wasn't the intention, but but I was aware of what I'm doing. But a couple of times when I recently, when I was divorced back in, you know, years ago, but I was um, not that, no, I actually do, I have to admit with all this, I really do see marriage or whether it's a, as, as a committed relationship as a very meaningful and beautiful. Okay. And it was it was something I actually always thought about, you know, considering uh, looking at my parents' marriage, which they had an arranged marriage, and you know, years ago, eight, seven years ago, eight years ago, actually a long time ago. Um, I made that commitment that I never will be in an unfulfilling relationship and never want that in create create that environment and that image for my own children which i really uh stood by it and um and i believe and i truly believe there are meaningful and it can be yeah but um i think that pursuing relationship from what i'm connecting the dot is i mean pardon me the education it's i feel like maybe that is the key maybe i can prove i am more than just my physique i am more than but yeah and that's you know even the way you say like usually when we say i have to prove to someone something it tells us some things it's not about the thing it's something deeper than that because you know i think like i said a few times now i think it could make sense for you to go back to school and get this master's degree it seems like you want it and you deserve it but i would hope that you can continue looking at this that you already are good enough or are valuable enough and are undermining your own value and that's going to be a process that I, I, it seems like you're working on, but to continue to work on to realize it's not that you're okay. not enough because it seems like what you're saying is the kind of relationship I want or the way I want a man to value me, I'm 
not sure if I have that value or I'm not sure they're going to see that value, but it already is there. It's just for you to be recognize it more and see it. And I mean, it seems like just years from when you were born of this sense of not sure if you're good enough, being told you're this and being told you're physically not even attractive, being told, or Mm. at least that weight was the issue, um, being (laughs) compared in all these ways, of course, you're not going to feel, you know, very good or strong about yourself. And, And it's, it really is remarkable. I'm always amazed um, at how deep these wounds can go. And right. and actually, as I'm saying it, of course, it's that the wounds are deep, but then we usually continue those dramas throughout our life. Even so, it seems like your husband, mm. uh, your ex-husband, just further, you know, made those wounds even more strong and clear <laughs> rather than healed yeah. them. And so that's usually right. what we do is because we <laughs> feel a certain way about ourselves and about other people, we continue those same dramas from childhood. So it's not just what happened in childhood, but that it unfortunately helped dictate a lot of your life. You know, I think Jung has a line, something, a quote, something about how as long as we don't, the unconscious remains unconscious or we're not aware of what's happened to us, um, we'll keep reliving our past and we'll call it fate. You know, we just think, oh, it's my bad luck that I ended up with this person or got treated this way. But Mm. we won't be aware of the ways we're guiding our story to be the same as it was before. So um, and the awareness can be big, but even still, it can be hard to change it because you're feeling, you know, I think you get that you have this sense of seeing yourself as less than you are. But then when you're in an interaction with someone that still is going to be there, that feeling of are they going to like me or they will they treat me right or those fears and anxieties can feel so real that it could be tough. And so it could be hard to try to question that voice more and more and put yourself out there in different ways. Um, but I hope you will do that. And it looks like you're looking at yourself and will continue to do that. And it could be scary to be wrong about something that even though it's hurting us, it still can be scary to be like, oh, maybe I was wrong about this. So I hope you will realize you're wrong about how you see yourself, that you're more valuable and worth more than you see. And lastly, coming back to the schooling, the logistics, I don't know. You'll have to probably go back to school. You can do a master's. There's online programs. There's so many ways for you to get this done there might be some anxiety of can i do this but i definitely know you can as far as a the capability it's just will you do it and that's going to be up to you um but i think it it could be fair to yourself to give it to yourself and knowing that the degree is not going to change you you're not going to all of a sudden be a totally different person it could hopefully you know have some opportunities i can understand you being proud of yourself for doing it and and getting it accomplished and it's been years in the making Uh and waiting um but i hope you recognize your value is not going to be created by this degree it's going to just be another aspect of you but the true value of yourself is something that you didn't get told was there to begin with. And that's something that you're slowly going to have to get more and more in touch with. And I, I hope you can do that for yourself. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'll take that definitely to, you know, to action. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you. So, no, I really, I really, I really agree with you because at one point after I, my divorce, I was thinking, Okay, I opened this huge J spa, you know, it was like, oh, if I own a business, if I prove mm-hmm. that I'm this, I'm that, I can do, and I, you know, I was miserable because mm-hmm. I was just working seven days, I was making ton of money and I was working seven days a week and I realized, huh, okay, so I, I get your point and I yeah. feel like it could be that getting that degree will be the same at the end. It might be, I think it's still, it still yeah. could be a good idea as long as, you know, really sure. genuinely you're doing it, not just to prove it, but also it has value sure. for you to have the degree. Sure. Um, but yeah, just like you said, so many people have these 
once I this, I'm going to feel good about myself. And almost never does it actually do that because it's the thing we're looking right. at is almost like a distraction yeah, right. rather than the real yeah. thing is something more okay. within. So, yeah, people say okay. and actually people can feel worse because maybe like what you felt. Well, now I'm making all this money and have my business and I'm still feeling unhappy. Right. What, then right. I must really be messed up or something's really wrong right. with me. So right. it almost makes us feel worse. <laughs> um, so this could be the same way. I think you'll feel good about doing it. But being aware okay. that what you're experiencing might be deeper than something that a degree is going to change. Okay. Uh, but I, I'd, I'd say go for it and, and make it happen for yourself. You know, it's also not a black and white thing or just work on yourself. And that's the only thing. By doing things, it can have an impact. It's not going to change you completely. By, but by going back to school and showing that to yourself, it could feel good and make you feel better about yourself in small steps. Not that the degree uh-huh. is going to change everything. So I think that could be good for you to do something also that's for yourself. Because now I don't want you to get the degree to prove to others that you're good. Sure. But I also feel like a lot of what you've shared is that you're very much about serving others. And even you didn't go to school because of others a lot of times that, you know, you're married, the kids. So that part of it, I like, too, that you're doing something that seems like it's more for you. Um, uh-huh. But this sense that proving to others, that's also something that, you know, to be aware of that aspect of it. But I wish you the best. And if you want to make it happen, you can make it happen. And I, I wish you good luck. I wish you the best to you. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Have a great day. Likewise. You too. Take All care. right. Let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Halaki. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, and I appreciate your time. My pleasure. How can I help you? Uh, actually, I am calling regarding uh, my son. He is a 17, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's at 12th grade right now. Um, actually, I have. I am kind of nervous, <laughs> not concentrating what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But anyway... Um, He's about to go to college or maybe university. Um, he was actually found, and then he was in uh, elementary school as a gifted student, but he is not and a person. To let me study. stop you there for, I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing you. If you can speak a little okay. louder, that'd be good. Thank you. Okay. So my son is uh, going to, as, as I was talking, he's going to go to university or maybe college I don't know what is mm-hmm. he was supposed to be but anyway he was actually um, found as a gifted student in elementary school mm-hmm. in, here in California and uh, but but he is not a person to study that much he was a person to do sports especially soccer mm-hmm. and right now he's very interested in basketball as I'm seeing he's watching soccer, basketball even American football or maybe baseball um, and also playing a lot of games um, and I was thinking maybe because of his uh, uh, he, he's good at math I was thinking maybe he, he would chose to go for something like uh, related to math programs, but uh, he was saying that I'm going to go to business school, and 
since I'm not aware of exactly what is business school in this country because it's, it means a lot, I think. Uh, it makes me worry that uh, what should I do? And he doesn't let me. And I actually, I'm trying to not be in your way as much as I can. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to let him do whatever he can do for himself and have his own motivation to be. But I don't know if uh, this much freedom that I, we are actually, me and my husband giving him, uh, giving something to be, uh, to live in a lot comfort zone and doesn't do that much for himself. Okay. Um, well, which part? So it seems on one hand you're worried about what he's going to study and then also you're just worried about his overall, like his work ethic or how he's working? Is you that know, uh, he when he was uh, started um, middle school, he was uh, doing math program, uh, like accelerated math program that he was doing two years in one year and he finished it. Mm-hmm. And right now I think he's doing um, CB calculus, BC calculus, something like this. And I know that his math is good, but he is not a person to study as much as he can do. He as He's doing his assignments. That's all he's doing. And uh, I was thinking maybe he can go for <laughs> more serious uh, major, but I, I'm seeing him uh, he's trying to pay to take a like an easy way to go for even he's saying that I'm not going to go more than four years uh, of university. I'm going to study just four years, and uh, so he is trying to get into a university, but he hasn't applied that much. Uh, he or he hasn't prepared himself for UC university or um, and. Wants to go maybe to Calisade or maybe you see he's thinking you see he's not acting that he wanted to go to UC so it makes me worry what should I do should I take any step or let him be do whatever mistake that he can do in his life and then get the experience from it or no just get involved in the situation in the process well, the thing is, we you know, it's always hard to help a situation if we don't know um, exactly what's going on. And so I understand you're worried he's, you think he's not really trying hard enough or he's not preparing enough for his future. Um, but I don't know what's happening for him. Is it that he doesn't really care because he's depressed or not feeling good about himself or his life? Is it that he is anxious about the next step of his life and he's not sure he can do it uh you know is it that he doesn't have dreams or motivation to something to work towards so what do you think is going on with him and how you understand him um, maybe i need to explain it more because sure. he was actually when he was when we came here like around 12 years ago uh, I put um, I put him my husband went to Iran for uh, for some time and then i put him in karate and he was doing uh, mixed martial arts for a long time, and he was about to get mixed martial arts. He's black belt, and he was doing a really good job at that. His master, he said they loved him, and he was involved to teaching the uh, the student, uh, like a younger student, but uh, as his master okay. asked him and uh, earned some money. But the coronavirus comes, and then he stopped going there. Right now, he stopped going there at all. He doesn't want to go there. 
and uh, so I, I sometimes I told him that they are they have a, they have started the classes you can go there so no I don't want to go there anymore um, and then he was doing soccer and he was good at soccer too he had a good vision in the soccer and uh, but I don't know maybe I we made mistake we, uh, we put him in uh, in a, what, what's called the American Youth Program. And uh, so since the parent was the the actually the coaches, sometimes they had biases. So it actually I think it, in one day it hurt him. Some of the coaches they were telling him you are like a Magic Johnson, you can make the game and you can see the game very well. And you don't want it to go. You are you are giving the ball to the other person to to make the goal. He had a lot, uh, actually, um, good things in him, but I don't know. He is very stubborn to do whatever he wanted to do, and I know that he has a lot of information. He is playing game, and uh, I'm seeing him most of the time. He is actually leading other kids during the game, but um, I don't know. This stock is enough for him to go for his future or... And let him do whatever he is trying to do. But what or is it that he wants to do? He is saying that I'm going to do business. And said so business is very broad. And I asked him, business is very broad, I, as I understand. He says, I'm going to go business in, uh, in uh, sport. I don't know what is business in sport. Is there anything in the sport that related to business specifically? So, and then he's saying that, uh, he asked, actually, he didn't say to me, but he said to his uh, aunt that I'm going to be independent. So uh, I'm going to go somewhere uh, kind of away from the home. And uh, so I was thinking also the financial matter also came to the game for me also. What, what, what I should do later when he goes out of the He's not going out of the state, but he's not uh, gonna. He's trying to not stay in our area, going out, like maybe San Jose, um, San Diego, Irvine, whatever. And if he can get in, I don't know with his effort to apply for the colleges. Even if he gets into the um, to the co- other, this actually UC colleges, or just going to uh, any Cal State or. Or maybe college. Uh, so I'm, maybe I am thinking too much, but um, it, I think this stuff is in me. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how much is it. I have to uh, consider it as to be real, and how much is it I have to throw it away. Well, I mean, it, and whatever he tells you, you have to at least show him you're listening to him and you care about what he's saying. When you say real, I mean, things change. So right now he might say he wants to study this, or I don't know what's going on for him. The way you're describing him um, academically, he doesn't seem like he wants to pursue his academics or he's taking it seriously. I don't know why, like I said, what's going on. You know, sometimes when kids are um, told they're gifted and talented, which is good, also, they can be told too many times they're smart where they forget that it doesn't matter if you're smart. You have to work hard if you want to be successful in anything. Uh, talent is not enough. It's, in that way, it's very overrated. So I, I don't know if he was getting this message. And if he was very smart, a lot of times the work can come easily. So 
they don't push themselves very much. And then as they get older and the work actually gets harder and you do have to push yourself, they might not want to, to go into that effort or that challenge. People who have what we call a fixed mindset, meaning that they just think, well, I, I'm good at school because I'm smart. But they don't realize actually you're good at school because you work hard. That's how you're going to be successful. So I'm not sure if there's some issue there with his work ethic and his uh, not wanting to challenge himself in some way that's making him take what at least sounds to you or feels to you like an easier way, like he just wants to not really go to school that much or just take it easy academically. So I don't know what's going on. I wouldn't get too fixated that we have to do something now because his future is going to, you know, something bad is going to happen. A lot of kids go through these times of not knowing what they want to do or they think they know and they change their mind or they don't get motivated, but then they get motivated for some other reason. So I wouldn't want you to get too worried that this is the rest of his life or he's going to change his whole life now. We want to try to understand what's going on with him. And so you can't, you know, force him to go to a certain school or push him too much in a certain way, because if he doesn't want it, he's not going to make it happen. Um, and so I'm getting the sense that he's someone who's not uh, is a little bit afraid of the challenges that are coming his way. And so he's looking for a way of avoiding that. I'm not sure if that seems accurate to you. There is actually several aspects of him in uh, that I have it in my mind. Right, for example, when he was in uh, actually uh, middle school, started middle school, and his math had changed. And I was actually I was starting to go to to the university to study a master's degree to get uh, go ahead and get a job. And I was very actually busy. He's that not that much involved in his situation, and I was kind of nervous that time. Uh, I was talking to his uh, math math teacher that if he can do this because I know that he's not trying that much hard. Uh, I asked him uh, if I let him be in this class because two years in one year it it means that you have to double your effort, double your work. But he didn't do that much. And then he said that his score is good. Uh, it's not bad. It's like a, he was first, he was doing from B and C. And then what, later, he actually kept his math at B score. Uh, mm -hmm. And then um, uh, and then he saw my actually frustration and my anxiety about him. He showed me uh, actually video from TED Talk from a boy that was uh, like a 12 year old at the same as age as he was and he was like a uh, autism kid that was um, actually uh, was found uh, as a um, person that doing the uh, Einstein uh, let, let me I'm going to stop you there for a second let me stop because we just have about a minute or two a minute left so we have okay. to, to wrap it up. So maybe we, if we had more time, we can get into more of the, the details. The thing is, he's you know he has to feel motivated to do it. I know you're saying, should I take it seriously? What he says, as I mentioned, you need to talk to him. And when he tells you something, hear him. Um, but I'm more concerned with this bigger sense of his motivation overall. Is it that he's down or depressed about himself or life in general? Is it that he's trying to just take the comfort zone uh, and not 
push himself or challenge himself in some way, those are the things you really have to also look at. Not that you can just change them for him, but I wouldn't get too worried because I feel the anxiety and when you're talking about it, that he's going to set a path and everything is going to be determined now. So even if he doesn't take it too seriously now, it doesn't mean that's going to be his whole future and don't put too much pressure that I have to make a big change right now because something bad is going to happen. I'm looking at the time. I do have to stop for today. Uh, Maybe we could have a a longer conversation another time that you can get into more of the detail. But from what I'm hearing from you, we have to give him the space to also figure out what is happening too. But maybe we can speak another time. Thanks for calling. Okay. Thank you. Sure. All right. My pleasure. Have a nice day. All right. Thank you, Ghazala, here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Locke. We have a wonderful day. 